0: Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Join us every other Wednesday when we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science, as well as the ins and outs of Good Dog and how our platform can help you successfully run your breeding program. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Good Dog Pod, where we discuss all things related to canine health, research, how Good Dog helps breeders run their breeding programs, and so much more. I'm Nicole, the breeder community lead here at Good Dog and your host for this week's episode. Today, we're bringing you a very special podcast episode, bringing you behind the scenes of Mission Canine Rescue, an award-winning working dog rescue, which has saved more than 1,200 dogs that have served humanity in some capacity, such as military working dogs and contract working dogs, while reuniting over 600 with their former handlers. I'm joined this week by Bob Bryant, the co-founder of Mission Canine Rescue. And together we're gonna to talk about Mission Canine's five point mission to rescue, reunite, rehome, rehabilitate, and repair these brave dogs who have done so much for humans to deserve loving, peaceful, and pain-free retirements. So Bob, thank you so much for being here today. We're so excited to have you join us for this episode. Can you start off by introducing yourself to our listeners and tell us more about how you got started with Mission Canine Rescue?
1: Sure. I'm Bob Bryant. I am the co-founder and chief technology officer. The chief technology officer job pays about a dollar an hour, so you don't want it, but it's necessary. I came into the realm of military working and contract working dog rescue back in 2010 when I was looking around for large Facebook groups that had good following, good replies to all their posts. And I found the predecessor of my current organization, reached out to the founders. They liked what I had to say. I had a business offer for them. I helped them to promote an offer I had. I helped them to promote their mission. And it worked so well that we grew. And when it was time to advertise to even do better, the executive director of that organization said, I will never spend money to advertise. Well, three months later, she was getting a real job and the organization was being shut down. And my partners, Kristen Maurer and Louisa Castor, reached out to me and they said, hey, you did a great job. Would you help us co-found a new organization? We don't want to lose this mission. Unequivocally, absolutely yes. Ten years in now, best decision I ever made. Although it's a pain in the butt sometimes, as is all nonprofit work, it's been a joy overall.
0: Amazing. We're so excited to learn more about the work that you've done with the rescue. So as I mentioned in the introduction to this episode, Mission Canine Rescue's mission is to rescue, reunite, rehome, rehabilitate, and repair. So can you walk me through those five points of the mission and explain what they look like in practice?
1: Absolutely. Let's talk about rescue. Mission Canine Rescue will rescue any working dog that has been brought to our attention. We routinely receive calls from contractors all over the world as well as the United States military saying, hey, we have a dog, he either needs to go to his handler or we have an excess dog that's been retired due to whatever, can you help us out? In many cases with the contract working dog companies, that dog doesn't come home, the dog gets euthanized. We don't want to see that happen. So we will go all over the world to rescue any type of working dog that has served humans in some capacity, wherever they may be. Let's talk about reunite. We will reunite that working dog when we rescue them with a former handler if there is one. With military working dogs, they can have up to five handlers, and the military themselves decides which handler will receive the dog. In most cases, it's the final handler, but there are some exceptions to that, and we make arrangements to transport that dog directly to the handler. Most contract working dogs that work overseas are handled by foreign nationals. They're rotated, and then they don't have any specific handlers. So those dogs are rehabbed at our facility in Texas, and then they are adopted to loving homes with families that qualify for their care. Okay, we had rehome was the third one. That was a good one. We get a contract working dog in, or we get a military working dog with no handler, we will rehome that dog to the best home possible for that dog. We have many, many applications, probably over a 1,000 at any one time, so the chances of us finding a good home are very, very favorable. Rehabilitate. We forgot rehabilitate. Let's get that. That was actually before rehome. These dogs train like athletes their entire lives. They're jumping. They're crawling through God knows what, and they're often in situations where there's excess heat, loud noises. Many develop PTSD as a result. When we get these dogs back in our care at our veteran canine ranch which is located in magnolia texas we go through everything that the dog needs as far as health as far as mental as far as determining what their triggers are are they crate aggressive are they other dog aggressive are they aggressive at the fence are they food aggressive based on that we will take steps to help to rehab that dog as best we can, including any and all medical problems. They're taken care of up front. Now, it may be a continuing medical problem that requires some kind of meds for life. In that case, the adopters take care of that because unfortunately we don't have the funds to cover adopted dogs, but they get everything they need. And as far as PTSD goes, they ask, how do we cure PTSD? The answer is you don't. We simply learn how to recognize the triggers, how to help the adopters to avoid those triggers, to give the dog the best life possible. Also repair, talk about that. Again, goes back to vet care. Anything the dogs need when they come in medically, they get, period. No exceptions, no, oh, we can't afford that. We do it.
0: That's incredible.
1: I believe that's all five.
0: You got them all. That's really incredible. I wanted to ask a follow-up question about the rehabilitation process. How long can that take?
1: It can take from a month to six months. just depends on what the dog's problem is. Let's say we get a dog home that's got a cruciate ligament tear in their leg. You know, that's going to be a a two-and-a-half, three-month rehab Mm -hmm. right there. And we don't want to send the dog out halfway fixed. We want the dog whole when they go out. In some cases, we've got a couple of dogs. Unfortunately, they're going to be lifers because they've got issues with mental stress, bite issues, things like that. But... We take those as we can, but in most cases, it's not any longer than a month or two before they're ready to go. Six months on the outside, if we have one that's particularly maybe aggressive to other dogs or to people, we need to find a special type of handler for that particular dog, and it Mm -hmm. can take some
0: time. And I want to talk a little bit more about the background of these dogs that are coming to Mission Canine Rescue, because I know in one of our prep calls, you taught me the difference between MWDs and CWDs. So can you tell our listeners a bit more about the lifestyle of the military working dogs and the contract working dogs and the differences between
1: the two? Sure, absolutely. Military working dogs are owned by the United States government. They are all bred and trained at the Lackland Joint Task Force's base in San Antonio, Texas, And from there, they are assigned to handlers from the various service branches of the United States. Those dogs, when they are trained, they are then deployed at that time with their handler, and they stay with that handler for his tour of duty. After the tour of duty, unfortunately, unless the dog is ready for retirement, the dog is removed from the handler and is assigned to another handler. While the dog is in the military, while the dog is kenneled in in whatever environment they're in, They receive excellent nutrition, good medical care, good stimulation, Cadillac treatment, perfect first class. Contract working dogs, often not so lucky. I would say 50% of contractors are gold, 50% are garbage. Unfortunately, we have to deal with the garbage a lot. When dogs are used by contractors, and many times they are not handled by normal training methods, they are beaten to get them to release their toys, they're choked, because when a dog has a toy, for a reward for a fine that he's made, whether it's explosives or drugs, and they won't release their toy, they don't work anymore. So the way these contractors do it is they beat them or they choke them, and it's just wrong. So we see some issues with that. Also, we see issues that contract working dogs are often kept in very shoddy kennels, in sand, literally. Many times their kennels are not cleaned regularly, and many times they're cleaned with a substance, I forget exactly what the name of it is, But it contains bleach, and it can develop horrible eye conditions, especially if they're kept in the kennel while they're bleaching the runs. And when contract working dogs are retired, a lot of times they're stuffed in a box, in a kennel, and forgotten about. We receive dogs that should weigh 75 pounds that weigh 40. It's just sad that they forget about them that way.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is awful, Um, and I think it really speaks to kind of where these dogs are coming from and how your Mission Canine is stepping in to really change their circumstances around. What are some of the breeds that Mission Canine predominantly works with, out of curiosity?
1: The three most predominant breeds that you'll see from any rescuer that deals in working dogs are Belgian Malinois. They are the primary working dog used by the government and contractors. They're lighter, they're faster than German Shepherds, they have better bite strength, They are not as prone to hip dysplasia, and they're borderline psycho, which works great for patrol dogs. German Shepherds are the standby. Many contractors still use them. They're sturdy. They've got great bite strength. They're intelligent dogs. They're very loyal. And we also see a lot of Labrador retrievers. Labs are used for mostly drugs and explosives detection, single purpose on each. They're not trained to do both no labs in patrol i've only seen one labrador retriever that was bite trained and it was rather interesting thing to watch the dog but it's not something you normally do a few dogs that we get in we see some german short-haired corners we see some springer spaniels those dogs will normally be used by tsa because they're not as scary looking as malinois shepherds labs springers and some of the bird dog breeds they're great with explosives and drugs as far as detection goes, and they don't scare the public.
0: That is interesting. Now that I think about it, every time I've been in an airport line, the dog is, I've seen beagles before, which is interesting. So yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying about the quote unquote lesson.
1: I've never seen a beagle at TSA. Good catch.
0: I did. I was so excited because I love beagles and you could see he had a fan in front of him and his ears were like flapping in the wind to get all the scents. It was very cool to see Anyway, I digress. So based on everything you've shared, it obviously sounds like the road to retirement for these dogs that have done so much for us is not always easy at all. So how does Mission Canine help these dogs find new lives?
1: Well, here's how we do it. And First of all, for your listeners, I wish that if your listeners would do anything, and this is more than give Mission Canine a dollar talk, this is write your congressmen, write your senators, and demand that the United States military provide veterinary care and nutrition for military working dogs after their retirement. If they can do it for their humans, then they can do it for the dogs. That's my pet peeve that just sets me off. I won't even get started on it today. All right. Now, ask me again what you just asked me because I just totally skipped over it and brain fluffed.
0: No, of course. That's actually something I want to get to a little later on. Okay, so good. can totally come back to that. Right. But I was wondering, just how Mission Canine really helps these dogs find new lives because right. that road to retirement is obviously very rocky for them.
1: They find new retirements more easily these days because after 10 years, we have over 122,000 followers on our Facebook page. We are well known across the country by many people, although still people a lot of times say, well, I didn't know who you guys were. So there's a lot of people that don't know about us. But we do a lot of social media advertising to let people know that we rescue the dogs, that we have them available for adoption. We have an application on our website for adoption. It's under the adopt menu at missionk9rescue.org. That application pretty much requests everything you would need to know about a potential adopter, including their current veterinarian, if their pets receive vet care, what we expect from them. And we have three excellent adoption coordinators that review those applications, they have telephone interviews, and once they are selected as being qualified for one or more dogs, those one or more dogs are then presented to them, and then they have the ability to choose if they wish to adopt any of the ones Mm -hmm. offered.
0: And what are some of the standout qualities that you're looking for in people that are looking to adopt a dog?
1: I'm looking for people that are not gone all the time, that Mm -hmm. have the time every day, to spend an hour or two in playtime with their dogs. These dogs can't be just left alone. They'll go nuts, they'll eat your house. Well, some of them will anyway, some of them won't. We want them to be able to afford a quality diet for the dog, not garbage food from Walmart that's 39 cents a can. We also want them to be able to afford the cost of veterinary care. Too many dogs get, oh, we're sorry, boy, we just can't afford that this month. And you know, the next month the dog's dead. Not on our watch. They have to receive the care that they need. And we have a covenant from our adopters promising these things. One more thing. Not a ton of other pets. Most working dogs are not dog or cat friendly. I have a working dog that I'm lucky he likes my cat, but he doesn't like any other dog in the world. So, you know, if they have other dogs, you know, it may take a long time for us to match a dog with them, but it can be done.
0: Yeah, that's actually... Very related to I think part of our mission at Good Dog is to make sure that all of the buyers that are connecting with our breeders are also, you know, as well informed about the costs and responsibilities of owning a dog as possible, because we always say it's not a one time purchase, just because you can maybe afford the puppy right now doesn't mean that you're going to be able to afford all of these things down the line. So it really is a decision to make when you are financially able and you've really thought through, are you able to commit yourself to this dog for the lifetime? So we are very aligned with you in that mission. All right, everyone, you are listening to the good dog pod. We'll be right back. Enjoy the best of good dog from the palm of your hand with the good breeder mobile app. Good breeders can use the mobile app to seamlessly and easily manage their programs on the go Whether you're shuttling puppies to vet appointments or coordinating airport pickups, you never have to worry about missing a second of managing your program. From the app, you can access your inbox where you can search for a specific conversation with a buyer by name. You can share photos and videos with your applicants directly from your phone. You can match them with a puppy or a litter and send them documents and payment requests directly in the conversation thread. So you can keep all of your applicants' information organized and in one place. You can also add and update litters and breeding dogs, request secure deposits and puppy payments, as well as access your profile, account settings, and all of Good Dog's resources, benefits, and support that you know and love from the desktop version. The Good Breeder mobile app can only be accessed by members of our Good Breeder community, and the app is available for both iOS and Android users. You can find it by searching Good Dog Breeder in the Apple or Google Play stores. Download today. So I'm wondering what the reality could be for some of these military working dogs and contract working dogs if Mission Canine Rescue doesn't step in for them.
1: With military working dogs, the military themselves does offer some dogs through adoption through the Lackland program. However, they don't do any reunions. A couple of other entities have tried to jump in the reunion game, but they found out it's not as easy as we make it seem. So they've then stepped out of it there would not be funds available to help the military members bring their dogs home. Now the military is supposed to be paying to get these dogs to the United States as it is, which most of the time they're still not. I see them bring a dog maybe one out of every seven requests. And when they do, it's fantastic. We like it. But when dogs are retired overseas, they're technically not eligible to take military transport. So that's where we come in. Where the other organizations don't realize this, you have to make reservations for air transports. You have to file health certificates. You have to actually get them to call you back and have a conversation. And it's taken years to develop that skill to a fine art. But the military themselves, most corporals I know, don't have six, dollars $7,000 to get a dog home from Afghanistan. And so they would have to face the loss of their partner to an adopter, and they'd never see their dog again. And to me, that's not something I'd want to happen.
0: And I know we briefly touched on this, but I was wondering if you could tell our listeners more about any legislation that's in place to help protect military working dogs or that you're hoping to see maybe in the next few years.
1: My pet peeve, the only thing the federal government has ever done to protect military dogs is to adopt what was known as Robbie's Law in 2009, and that stopped the routine euthanasia of military dogs upon retirement. The military needs to step up. They do not provide for care for the dogs after they retire, and they do not provide for any nutrition, nothing. These dogs deserve more than they're getting. They deserve more than a mission canine rescue handoff to their handler. They deserve veterinary care for life, and I wish that your subscribers would write their political whoever's and say, hey, I've been made aware that military working dogs don't get vet care after they retire. They're considered equipment. And we don't feel that's right. We demand that the United States government and the United States Armed Forces provide lifetime care for military working dogs upon retirement, including nutrition and veterinary care. And while it wouldn't relieve us of what we do, it would provide the dogs with the care that they have earned for their service.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one thing I was really hoping for for this episode is to just spread that awareness of what's actually the reality for these dogs if your rescue isn't stepping in. Because I really do think it might be an awareness issue for the public that, you know, you see images of these dogs across the seas doing these really incredible things for us. But I don't think it really, like connects with people like, oh, I wonder what happens to this dog after Mm he's done serving. So hopefully this episode can really open people's eyes to what the reality looks like for them. And we do have, like you said, the capacity to advocate for change for them, which I hope many people do.
1: That would be awesome. And, you know, there's actually a couple of people that think that military dogs should go to work for somebody else when they retire. That's just wrong. These Mm -hmm. dogs didn't ask to serve. They've served all their life. They've been in hellish conditions. And they should receive a life of leisure when they retire, not to go to work for a police department for another two years. And there is an organization that thinks they should do that. And we're just like, how can you do that? You know, how can you make a dog that served work even more? It'd be like if I decide to retire, it'd be like putting me back to work at the canning factory. I wouldn't like it.
0: Right, exactly. And the dog should deserve exactly the same. So obviously what you're doing is kind of, bringing that new life to them and really giving them a new beginning. So I'm curious if there are any favorite parts that you have about what you do.
1: Well, I have to say that the reunions are always very special because I don't care how long it's been since the working dog has seen the former handler. In an instant, the dog will recognize the handler and in most cases go flying out of the arms of Kristen, who's reuniting them, into the arms of the service member who handled the dog. It's a beautiful thing. And I remember one guy looked at his dog, you've got fat no. where have you been? And he was crying, it was great. But the dogs literally light up the service members' lives and it's a joy to see them receive so much of a, well, I'll just call it a blessing from getting their partner back. It feels like a part of them has been given back to them and they appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I imagine that feeling does not get old, just being part of that reunion. And it is really nice to also think about just as much as this is impacting the dog's life, it's really impacting the handler's life as well. Because, I mean, I don't need to tell you that that human-animal bond is like one of the most special things. It is a blessing. So it's really nice to, I'm sure, see that and be a part of that so frequently. And then on the flip side of things, what are some of the most challenging aspects of what you do?
1: Getting the dogs back here. There's a lot of times where, just for instance, let's take two years ago, we had a bunch of working dogs that were stuck in Turkey. Well, during the summer of 2019, the United States government put a ban on any dogs coming in from the hot countries. It was a rabies ban. These dogs had full health certificates. They'd had their rabies titers. Everything had been done, but yet still, they still couldn't come. So we managed to fly the dogs from Turkey to a neutral, non-hot country, board them there for a month, get health certificates there, and then bring them to the United States. So bureaucracy and rules can make it difficult. Now there's only two airlines that will fly dogs the size that we fly, and that's KLM and Lufthansa. United won't fly our dogs anymore. I will say that Southwest, although they've had their issues has been very gracious in allowing our working dogs to be reunited to actually fly in cabin with Kristen Maurer, our president, to their handler. And many times the captain will announce that the dog is there. People will clap for the dog and everything. It's been a great situation. One of them had a little oops on a flight one time, but we won't talk about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Now, All that matters is that they're getting...
1: Too many treats. Let's just say that. <laughs>
0: Have there been any specific dogs that you've worked with whose stories have really resonated with you over the past few years?
1: There are so many. Let me see if I can think of just one. I'll give an example of my own dog, a police canine Navy, drug and patrol dog. He came from a city up in Quebec called Longay up in Canada. Navy was a three-year-old patrol dog that was involved in a number of very dangerous incidents, and yet he continued to maintain his good health, despite the fact of receiving some injuries from those services. And he here today is a testament. and I hope he'll live to be 14 years old. We'll see. We've seen a lot of military working dogs that have served in Afghanistan who have come home. I can't recall the name of this one particular dog, but he had literally saved his entire company, his mm-hmm. military company, from an improvised explosive device cache in the ground he alerted on it, and as a result of his actions, over 35 people were saved that would have been wow. just literally blown to pieces.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Wow.
1: I mean, Navy's got a good story, but this dog's even better. Yeah. Right. I
0: mean, it's really nice to see him just laying down behind you. and
1: Oh, he is back there, isn't he? Same yeah, way. I
0: saw him get up as you were speaking, and I think it kind of is a nice testament to everything we're talking about, that he can just finally, like, take a load off and lay down and— be a dog and live a leisurely life. So it's honestly really crazy to see it right before my eyes. I wish our listeners could see what I'm seeing.
1: <laughs> if you really want to see something, you should see what he does when the doorbell rings, but we won't talk about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can imagine.
1: He's a good boy uh, what he wants to be.
0: <laughs> he looks very, very sweet and very content right now. So obviously you've received a lot of well-deserved and attention for everything that your organization is doing. And one of those being the Helping Heroes Award that you received from the Petco Foundation. So can you tell our listeners more about that?
1: Sure. Back in 2017, Mission Canine received a call from Petco. We've had a very close relationship with them ever since. Now, this is the foundation. This is not the pet stores. Well, it's the same entity. It's a different part of the entity. They had seen a story where we had found a group of dogs over in Kuwait that had been euthanized by their handlers, and their handlers had, had their passports taken from them by the contract working dog company. We didn't want to see that happen again, so we stepped in and we mitigated and mediated in it, and we convinced the contractor to give us the rest of the dogs rather than endure the obvious, horrid publicity that's coming their way. By no means do we like these contractors. Are we their friends? But we were there for the sake of the dogs. Petco recognized that, and they awarded us their Helping Heroes Award in 2017. The next year, the ASPCA awarded us their Henry Berg Founders Award for similar work. And just recently, within the last month, Petco has made us another award to help us get more dogs out we spend their money wisely. In fact, over 90% of everything we get goes directly to our work. It's not wasted on sending letters to dead people asking for money.
0: Really incredible and really incredible to see your organization getting that recognition and exposure so that more people learn about the work that you're doing. So that kind of brings me to my last few questions for you. I'm sure anyone listening to this will feel very compelled to be involved and help and will want to know how. And I actually realized as I was looking at our calendar that this episode will be out for Veterans Day. So that really makes this top of mind to people that we're thinking about. People have given so much to our country so that we can live the lives that we do. And the dogs that we're talking about today are no exception to that. They've done so much as well to just keep us safe and protected. So... What do you need to continue doing the important work that you're doing?
1: This year, we need to refurbish and expand our kennel and rehab facility at our Magnolia Ranch. Unfortunately, the weather in Houston, Texas is quite humid. It can be quite miserable and anything that's made of metal deteriorates after a while. We're starting to see some rusting in our current kennel and we want to build a little bit larger facility and expand it a bit. We already have plenty of outside play yards. Look at about $180,000 building for construction, septic work, electrical, things of that nature. And that's what we need. And we would like to bring even more dogs home. But even though we raise nearly $1.8 million a year, there's still months where we literally have our noses just above the water when it comes to our work and that's occasionally when I'll send out a, hey, we really need your help email. But we don't pester our donors. We're not one of these nonprofits that every other day, you know, hi, hi, here we are, give us money. No, we send email when we need something. We don't bore people with chit chat. Any routine posting, things like that are done on Facebook and the website, just in a blog format. But we need your help. We need your funds. And we promise that we'll spend them wisely. And good old public, please learn how to read a nonprofit IRS form 990. They will show you how the organization truly spends your money. There's no questions to ask. You can see how much of it goes to fluff and how much of it goes to their actual work. And I think you'd be surprised. There's a lot of organizations out there that spend 60% of their money on their work and 40% on excess, and that's not acceptable. They can do better.
0: And is the best way for people to get involved, whether it be donating or just learning more, is that through Mission Canine's website?
1: Yes, missioncaninerescue.org if they want to contact us. There's plenty of ways to do it there. If you want to see day by day, our current work, what dogs that we have are new in for the week, we don't post a lot of our dogs on our website because when people want to adopt, they'll focus on that dog and that dog may be the worst fit for their family. And I've had a hard time explaining this to some people say, well, I want to see all your dogs. Well, you may not qualify for any of them. Let's get your application in first, and we'll show you the dogs you qualify for. So Facebook will have lots of interesting articles. It will have all our current dogs, lots of photos. And it's a good place that you can see more about what we actually do and how we do it.
0: Amazing. And for our listeners, I will make sure I drop those links in our show notes so you can easily click through there and learn more. One last question for you. I know a lot of our listeners are breeders. They make up our amazing good breeder community. So is there any way that breeders specifically can get involved with the work you're doing to help make an impact?
1: Breeders might want to reach out to the Lackland Joint Task Force program if they are inclined to maybe offer their expertise. For instance, the Lackland program has what's known as their puppy program where they take in people that raise the little Malinois puppies and the little ankle biters until they're ready to go into the main training division. They could do that. They could provide supplies. Some breeders might want to contact contract working dog companies. Some of them will buy dogs from the U.S. Most of them buy trained dogs from Czechoslovakia. Some of them train their own. I'm not saying a breeder will not have success I'm just giving you some options on how the breeder should best reach out, offer to help, offer to provide whatever they need, offer to network for them, just anything they might could do. And believe me, the people will tell them if they need them or if they don't.
0: Yeah, and what I really like about what we've covered today is I feel like there are so many different ways for people to get involved, whether it's through donating, whether it's for reaching out to your government representatives to see real change for how these dogs receive veterinary care or donating your time, supplies, whatever it may be. So I hope everyone takes that away from this episode, that there really is something you can do that can have such a big impact on these dogs that have given so much to us. So thank you again for being here for this episode and for speaking with me. I've learned so much from speaking with you over the past few weeks and it's just been so nice to have you here and really bring our listeners into this world.
1: I was happy to be on. I'm always glad to tell people about our organization and should anyone have questions, there's easy ways to contact us on Facebook or on our website and I'll be happy to personally answer anything.
0: Amazing. And we'll make sure, like I said, we'll drop all of those links in our show notes so that everyone can learn more. And thank you to our listeners for taking the time to tune into this week's episode. We really enjoyed this opportunity to share more about the incredible and important work that Mission Canine Rescue is doing to give back to the hero dogs who have given so much to us. Thank you all again for joining us and we'll see you back here on November 29th for our next episode. Thank you for listening to The Good Dog Pod. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, so be sure to subscribe to The Good Dog Pod on your favorite podcast platform.